This is an SM Media production. Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of... I'll start that again. Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle the Rangers Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are now at episode 17, what happened in March 2017 when Mark Warburton left under a cloud of unease and was replaced by Portuguese man Pedro Cachinha. Out of the blue, absolutely unbelievable appointment, but one that we still kind of don't know how it came about. But to join me on this part of the journey, I'm delighted to welcome Ross Hutton. Ross, welcome to the show. I wish we could have picked better subjects to go through because there's a lot of downs <laughs> on this, but it's a pleasure to welcome you on. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks very much. You, you've definitely got me on for the fun one, haven't you? I mean, considering what's going to be coming after this and how joyous that conversation is going to be, I'm definitely getting the, the trough instead of the peak here. You're getting a tough one, but you're also getting one that's got quite a lot of topics on it. There's a lot of things to talk about on here, and there's some false dawns, there's some really bad days, but we'll kind of look back to when, obviously, last week we closed the show with Mark Warburton left. We spoke about it last week. We This is still a tough one to really kind of put down as to what actually went on, but there's a lot of... There's a lot of clouds under this. What actually happened, do you think, with Mark Warburton? Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Um, I think there's possibly something in both ends of the story that I, I think possibly towards the end he wasn't as invested in being the Rangers manager as he may have claimed to have been. And it wouldn't have surprised me if he started looking at other opportunities because he said himself, especially the the expectations around Rangers, just didn't really suit him. I think he said in other interviews that when we came back up and we had the TIFO going for 55, he said, I thought his heart sank, or I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was words to that effect. But I think when you're on that point, no matter how realistic that was, and listen, it wasn't. And I think we as fans probably knew that it wasn't, but that is always going to be a Rangers mentality. We're always going to be looking to push for the league. If we're not, then, you know, we're not Rangers. So I think if you're going to be in that circumstance like Mark Warburton was, and he obviously coming completely external to us in terms of not being a fan of Rangers all his life, he's going to see that as unreasonable. And at that point, your heart probably stops being in it. So I can definitely believe that he was possibly looking for other other options or an avenue out of Rangers while his stock was still relatively high. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, happens, and, and it's messy and, and it's muddy and he's never really got a proper management career going after that. Now, I think Mark Warburton is a fantastic coach and I think maybe one of those director of football roles, I think he'd be you know, a, a shining light because he does seem to have a really good knowledge of, of the game. It's nothing personal. It's just I think you could see over his tenure as Rangers manager and indeed um, the QPR subsequently of that, his style of management with the whole plan B is to do plan A better. It just doesn't work. It's not practical. Uh, it's no way suited to the modern game. You need to have a, a level of flexibility. You need to have a level of tactical now. So it isn't just being able to rehash the old ideas, but try and do them in a better way. 
So it it probably was the best time for both parties to to call it quits and to move apart, but it's just an incredibly, incredibly messy episode. Aye, and it ended badly, and I think we've, we kind of touched on it last week. I think in a better circumstance, I think Mark Warburton would have done pretty well as Rangers manager, but it just, as you say, I think the, the expectations and the pressure on that situation was just a bit too much for him, but... He left obviously on the 10th of February along with David Weir and Frank McPartland. Graham Murty was placed in immediate caretaker control, obviously youth team coach. The There was a weird one here because I think Graham Murty was in, a, in an impossible position at that point because the league was gone, but there was also this pressure that things had to go back to, to normal. Rangers and winning goes hand in hand, but that season Rangers were not doing well. I want to go back, go to the first game of the Murray run in the league, the 2-1 defeat to Dundee, where I think it was more the touchline antics that was kind of famous for that day, do you remember? The headstand? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd agree with what you're saying there, Scott. Actually, the, the Graham Murray was on an absolute hiding to nothing. And again, it maybe comes down to the expectations versus the reality and the expectations were obviously going to be, listen, we need to start winning games of football again before the, the one-all draw at Ross County you know, Mark Warburton's last game mm-hmm. we beat the Tyne Castle and just get dropped 4-1, now at the time of recording Rangers head to Tyne Castle tomorrow um, which yeah. we're going to, we were just speaking about that off air so I'm really praying it doesn't go as badly as that can't surely attempt <laughs> and fate there and then Graham Murray comes in, 18th of February, we go over to Dundee and, listen, they're not a great side. And you're thinking, okay, if you can maybe come up against a side that you can try and at least show something that you're getting back on track for, you can try and at least kind of get a result at the end of. So probably one of the games you would pick. And it's just, as you say, it doesn't go well. And then you have everything that goes on in the touchline with, with, with the headstand, with a missed chance. And don't get me wrong, it was an absolute sitter and which you the score from it. Yeah. I, you know, you, this is now the age of like internet memes and things like that, and you, you just feel as though the club is just becoming one laughing joke after another laughing stock after another laughing joke after another laughing stock, and it's just this endless cycle. And it's possibly one of the low points. I, I'm saying possibly one of the low points. It was one of the low points where you're starting to think, are we ever actually going to get back to the club that we know we can be, we know that we should be, because it just seemed to be one humiliation after another. And now that's at this point, not Graham Murray's fault. He's been brought in as a youth coach to just try and tide us over until we get a permanent appointment. I don't think anyone really attached any blame to him. Mm-hmm. But it just, again, you felt as though we were in this rut where we just seemed to be humiliated on and off the park at every single given opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the the Dundee defeat, they then go to Inverness and lose 2-1 as well, which was just a, a weird day. I think it was a last-minute winner from Billy Mackay, if I remember right. But there was two wins, to be fair. A 6-0 win over Hamilton in the Scottish Cup, which seemed a weird... That the Joe Garner hat trick. That was just a weird day as well. But do you remember the three two one over St Johnson, where I'm pretty sure Rangers were two 0 up, and St Johnson brought it back to two each, and Emerson yeah. Hyman scored the right last kick. But it just it just showed to this thing that Rangers were two 0 up and seemed to be cruising, and St Johnson just get back into it, and it just showed this this Rangers team who could play decent stuff with a lot of young kind of talent who would go on and some of them have done quite well, but there was just something missing in terms of kind of real tenacity at that time. And it just shows in games like this, but in a game we'll talk about in a second, they do have it, but Murray just didn't seem to me, even then, it just didn't seem to me to be that kind of 
real tough guy that that Rangers team maybe needed to kind of get these get these results and get a kind of more mental spark. I would say is probably the right term. Would you go along with that? Uh, mental spark is probably a really good way but actually although to be fair I do feel as though they deserve a, a bit of credit for coming back against St John's and I say coming back what was it they scored more the 87 88 yeah. minute from memory and at that point you are thinking oh for fuck's sake right, here, here we go seriously it's just because that would have been in, in the league four games without a win the league's gone so that's not in the picture anymore but still like I'm saying this endless humiliation endless humiliation sorry I'm, I'm saying that five games without a win that would have been an absolute disaster yeah and to be fair, we do manage to go and, like you say, Hyman gets the weather in the 91st minute. So that that is something to cling on to. But you still kind of felt as though we were soft touches on the park. Yeah. And I think it, there is a lot in, and we are maybe experiencing a wee bit of it now where a team on the park becomes a reflective uh, a reflection of the manager on the sidelines. You hear it said all the time in football. It's why Man United under Sir Alex Ferguson were so tenacious all the time because you had a manager who was relentless all the time. In our 55 season, you've seen that we were relentless on the park because Gerard was relentless off of it. Mm-hmm. Here, with Rangers, you had Graham Murty, who, you know, it, it appeared at the time to be a perfectly nice guy, good mm-hmm. youth coach, not anything really <laughs> offensive about him. But you want a wee bit of something offensive about you on the park. You want that wee bit of bite, that bit of bastardness about you that, that you know, title-winning teams will go on and have. Now, we were nowhere near a title-winning team. But this is another reason why, because teams did feel as though they could, could, uh, they could come get at us, especially at Ibrox. You know, Rangers go 2-0 up, up at Ibrox. That should be the game done. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That opposition team should not in any way, shape or form feel so they can get back into the game. We've seen it a wee bit in the season just past. We're seeing it a wee bit this season where teams feel so they do have an opportunity to get back at us. And we've seen it in this season a hell of a lot. And St. Johnson can approve that where they still believe right up until the bitter end that they could get back into this game. And like I say, we probably deserve a wee bit of credit for going and getting the win there. But it did display a much larger picture about this Ranger side. That I don't think they believed they were title winners. I don't think we, in our heart of hearts as fans, believe they were title winners. And any opposition that they came up against certainly didn't believe they were anything special and thought they could be got at. Yeah. At this point, obviously, the, the hunt is going on for a new manager. There's been some names floated about. Frank De Boer, I remember, being the kind of the guy I was kind of leaning to, that he seemed to he seemed to fit the bill in terms of kind of a project that would maybe have a have a kind of decent name. And amongst it, so Frank De Boer obviously had won the league at Ajax. Seemed to tick the boxes. Alec McLeish, I remember, been mentioned. I just thought that was a that was the wrong step, and I've been open on that. That I don't think that Alec McLeish at that point would have been the right call. Derek McInnes, we'll touch on him maybe a bit later on, but Derek McInnes was mentioned. But a name came out of the blue towards the middle of March. Ross, when did you first hear the name of Pedro Cachinha? I remember this so vividly, right? I was in the pub with my pals. I could still, <laughs> Hudson's in his go right, and I could still point you to the exact spot in the pub <laughs> where we were when his name got raised. My pal Jack, you know, I was away getting the drinks, he kind of hurriedly shouted me over when he got us up, and there was the kind of the, the breaking news on Twitter, Rangers were going to appoint Pedro Cachinha. I was like, who? And in fact, I remember because we had a bit of trouble trying to learn how to pronounce his name at first because the X really threw us. And, you know, it was just a total bolt from the blue. And you mentioned the names there, like De Boer and McInnes and McLeishan. You kind of thought that was the route that the club would be going down. Not so yeah. much the, the just the try and tested, but not something completely off the wall like this. And that was a discussion for the rest of the night. It was, 
we are not in a position to try something completely off the wall. It just it seemed so alien to what we were trying to build and what we were trying to achieve. And then the kind of conversation, I think I've said this on other podcasts as well, it turned around to almost from my point of view, well, maybe, maybe we do need to try something completely off the wall because we were in a position now where we'd went down the route of having a, a good coach like Mark Warburton. I think we all kind of knew he was a good coach, at least if not the best manager. And he done some part of the job in terms of returning us to the, to the Premiership. But what he had tried to do in that Premiership would be able to miserably and would fall on our face this season. And I think I talked myself into as much as anything else, believing that trying something so off the wall and so crazy might actually be of a benefit to something so radically different a major change of approach to the way the club had previously been thought to be going in it might actually be the best thing for us that that bolt from the blue and that freshness and you're not bogged down in the kind of meander that Scottish football is like a, a Derek McInnes would be and I know we're going to talk about him a wee bit more later mm-hmm. something so completely alien to the rest of the league and the, to ourselves to inject these new ideas and a new vision into the club and I think I'm saying it now I'm trying to re-talk myself into believing it almost because this is the kind of conversation we were having at the time now having spoken to my dad about it I remember phoning him and he's like nah it's just it's not going to happen it's not going to happen. And maybe when we kind of touch upon his first kind of press conference and everything that was being said there, and you just started to get the impression that okay, maybe maybe this was a wee bit of a dangerous appointment. But at the time, in my heart of hearts, I believe it probably not. But I was trying to talk myself into seeing the sense of it, at least if that's what you can call it. And it's that thing as well, we we Rangers fans that we've talked about so many times in this show over the past few weeks, as you're just desperate for this guy to be good. You're just desperate for a a positive appointment. Now, I don't I think, think... I think that was, sorry, Scott, I think that's what it was. That, yeah. that sheer, you were willing to cling on to absolutely anything. And mm-hmm. <laughs> the conversation I was having in terms of convincing myself that this off-the-wall idea would work, it wasn't because I actually believed it, it's because I wanted to believe it. And when you want to believe in something so much, it's so powerful, it has such a hold over you, mm-hmm. you, you do start to kind of walk out what really would be logical and sensible arguments to the contrary. And that's really how I felt with Pedro in this moment in time, because I was just so desperate for something to cling on to. And the only other time I felt it was when Gerard came in, but that was just a whole different feeling. Yeah. And it's entirely, I don't, I don't want to jump, jump ahead too much. But in, in terms of like what I actually believed in my heart of hearts and what I wanted to believe in my heart of hearts, there were two completely separate things. And we seem, we can, uh, I think we've drawn the conclusion that I think Pedro Cachinha certainly impressed a few people on the, the Ibrooks board at the time and certainly kind of, I think it's fair to say, Rossi interviewed well. Is that maybe a fair assessment? Well, he had that famous presentation, didn't yes. he, where, it, where he, he came prepared and managed to wow everyone over. Now, I think we've all been, <laughs> been in jobs where you're working with someone that you're thinking, oh, you must interview better than you actually work, buddy. But yeah, I think the snake oil salesman has been the, the words that have been floated about quite a lot since Pedro left and there's possibly something in that but you mm. do sometimes just get guys like that in the real world that, that can come with that really really good interviewing skill he did seem quite a personal guy and I, I think yeah. that's the other thing about him he, he did you know he, he's someone who you wanted to believe in because he did seem like quite a, a nice guy and you know smiled a lot and kind of cracked jokes and he, you could see why you would start to believe in that especially if you're in his presence but then you actually you know, get down to the nitty gritty of it and look at the CV. I mean, the only two real household names in terms of recognisable clubs that he 
being a part of in a management capacity was sporting Lisbon and Panathinaikos and that was his assistant role mm-hmm. that wasn't even the, the first team manager he then went to being the assistant manager of Saudi Arabia and he just came from um, was it Al Ghaffara in Qatar yeah, I believe Qatar, yeah. um, so you know what I mean it's not exactly a, a pay degree that gets you off your seat there yeah. but if, you, if you're a board and I think this is the human element of it as well in the decision-making process. We want these people to be cold, hard, rational decision-makers that are human at the end of the day. And if he comes in with a fantastic presentation and a vision, which is something this club hadn't had in years, and manages to convey that in such an eloquent way to the board that they can believe in, then it does possibly make sense why they would fall into the logic as well of, well, I mean, it's something completely different, but he does seem to have that idea. And he said about where he wants to take Rangers on the park and, uh, listen, the, the route they'd went down previously clearly haven't worked. So, as I say, I can kind of understand. I'm not trying to acquit them of anything. This could have been a horrendous decision in retrospect, but I can kind of understand why we would have fallen into the trap of going for it. I think this whole situation was a mixture of desperate... The, the board were desperate for something, like, something out of the blue to work. They tried Mark Warburton, that obviously hadn't worked, but if Pedro had of what would have worked, for example, the board would still be dining off it today. So well, they, they, they do so be a bit with Stephen Gerrard because even though Gerrard turned into the success that he was at Rangers, let's not forget when he was appointed again. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but that was completely off the wall mm-hmm. as well. That that isn't exactly going down your tried and tested safe pair of hand route where. You're, you're just trying to kind of get what you know because you have been burned before. So it's not as though they like this approach completely, you, you know, to move them from that equation. But I think you're absolutely spot on. If you could, you could believe that something so off the wall would work, then yeah, obviously you would get the credit. But when it goes the way that it did, you rightly get the, the stick as well. Yeah, and obviously he's famously sitting in the, the director's box at Parkhead. Rangers draw 1-1. A last-minute goal from Clint Hill against the Celtic team, who obviously were on and finished the season unbeaten. But I remember that there was something about that game. There was obviously a a very good Celtic team against a very bang average Rangers team. But they showed Rangers showed a willingness to not give up that day. And you obviously see it with a last-minute goal. There was there was a bit of a difference. But now you kind of think about it. Was that maybe a a trying to impress the new guy? Kind of thing, but it was a massive. It was. It felt like a massive point. I know it, the the league was gone. I think it was some thirty points at that at that point. But Celtic were so relentless that season. Just getting anything that day was a was a bonus. We needed it. Yeah, as fans, we, we we needed to see something from this Rangers team. You're right. I think I'm gonna say. 33 points was the gap. I think it was, yeah. Something like that. 30, 33. I remember it being uh, quite wholesale like that. But we needed to see something more more so than anyone in the stands like Pedro, or even for them on the pitch, or even Graham Murray in the dugout, who I think the prevailing mood at the time was he kind of deserved it almost for trying to yeah, get out through that this sort of period. Yeah. Um, I remember saying that at the time to my pals and to my dad. I was like, I kind of felt happy for him as well that he got that that bookend almost of a, of a result against Celtic. But we needed it as fans. We needed to see something and something big because you, we've just covered the results there. They weren't good enough. It was embarrassing. I, I mentioned feeling as though we were being battered from pillar to post and humiliated at every single opportunity, going from laughing stock to laughing stock in, in just a deeper way. 
more so than anything else we needed something there and uh, that this game could have very easily went the, the way of others that we'd faced against Celtic we're going to talk about one very very shortly but mm-hmm. to have that moment and we, we still talk about that moment even though it led to absolutely square root of fuck all in the league we still talk about that Clint Hill goal because as a moment in time it meant a lot just to see that and have that emotion something that we hadn't felt and so, so long in the league against Celtic, and we've been on the end of so many embarrassments in the league against Celtic and others. So just to have that moment, and just a wee bit of pride back. Not a lot, but just a wee bit of pride meant a lot. Mm-hmm. And going into Pedro's first game, I remember there have been big fanfare about him coming out the the tunnel that day. As you said, though, it was very early on in his, I think his first press conference, as you say, he was certainly, he certainly said some things that puzzled people. Uh, but there was this weird thing as well that you kind of liked him. You kind of liked just the way he was coming across. And it was this kind of weird thing as well because he, obviously the famous thing he said about the, the dogs barking and the caravan and things like that. But there was this weird personal thing, person, personal thing about him is that you just wanted to, to like him. You wanted to like him and you wanted him to succeed. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. You, you could buy into Pedro Cushina very, very easily. Yeah. Um, and why I'm saying I'm, I don't want to give the board any <laughs> any kind of loosen of the strings for actually appointing him, but you can see why you would kind of buy into his charm. Because he is a very charming guy and he mm-hmm. does seem really personal. And I do think that came across in his press conference. But I do remember talking to my dad after his first press conference, and you're right, and you made a couple of those kind of those wee off the hand comments that people sort of raise an eyebrow at, and you're thinking he's never. Ever going to get a fair hearing from the press in this country? And that's yeah. always the thing with a foreign manager. No matter, yes. I think the first time we've seen that is with Costa Coglu right now, where Celtic are doing well and the press love them, but the press are very naturally very very condescending of foreigners. Is that fair to say? Well, yes. Um, there's a there's a saying about element to it. Ronnie Dyla had it as well when he was mm-hmm. at Celtic, and McQueen certainly had it, and we spoke about that. Yep, 100%. And Mark Warburton spoke about it as well when he came up. He was told there's always a good guy and a bad guy in the Scottish press with yeah. the Rangers and Celtic manager. Because Ronnie Dial was in place at Celtic at that point, Mark Warburton was was the golden boy and he maybe got a wee bit more of a fair hearing. As soon as it became Pedro Cushina and he was this, uh, I hate to use the phrase, but he was portrayed as this funny foreigner guy coming over with all these wee phrases and his wee kind of charm. He came from Qatar and who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Very, very easy target to take the piss out of there. And it's so wrong and so backwards. And in many ways, it's held Scottish football back because we've seen it a wee bit with Postacoglu as well, like you're saying, because he is—he was an off-the-wall appointment. For yeah, Celtic and and, yeah you, you saw how quickly that changed when he started to do well. Yes. Um, would this have changed with Pedro Cushina had to start to do well? Possibly, yeah, but uh, he was he was doomed from the outset. The game was right from the start. Although you say that he was doomed from the start, the very first game, I remember leaving Ibrox that day with a lot of positivity because Rangers played some outstanding stuff, but I think there's a big difference. I think that's exactly the point. There's a big difference between hosting Hamilton at home and being able to play the, the really... F- Tidy way he wanted to play, and what you could see that day, play the I think Lee Wallace's goal in particular is a stunning goal. But there's a big difference between playing at home to Hamilton, where you're allowed a lot of the ball, when you'll create a lot of chances, and playing against a Kilmarnock team the two games after, where it's very, very tight and very tough to play that way. And I think that was the big difference. I think that is the difference between Pedro when he could yeah. play, he played well. When it was when you had to get your put your socks up, no. 
it didn't work. I think possibly the the only one you could say to the contrary, and even this is really, really stretching, that would be uh, Aberdeen away a couple of games down the line. Where, yeah. But that was three incredibly late goals at the, at the end of the game between Miller and Dodo. And I do agree with what you're saying there. When the goal got tucked up, didn't really get going under Pedro Cushing yet. And that 4-0 win against Hamilton, was that as much to do with the old regime not being there as much to do with the new regime being in place? Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure. You see it all the time in football with this new manager bounce. It actually turns out to be a lot more to do with the fact the old regime aren't in place anymore mm-hmm. rather than you know, any, any new ideas the new management are bringing to the table. But again, you really started to see it quite quickly that this Ranger side didn't have the that strong underbelly. You need to really be competitive over the course of a piece because we spoke and we gave him a lot of praise there rightly for at least showing us something in that game at Parkhead. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it just uh, it all falls apart. Do you remember the day the, the second game against Motherwell Rangers were one down at half time? And he, let me get this right, he proceeded to at half time, Rangers were one down. I want to say that he took off three defenders and put on three midfielders. He took off Clint Hill, Lee Wallace and Lee Hodson and put on Andy Halliday, Joe Garner and Michael O'Halloran and, and just said, F it, let's go for it. It managed to get a draw, but there was just something weird that day. I just one defender and 10 forward players in that team. There was just... And at the time, you're kind of thinking, right, this guy seems to just have no Fs to give, but it just it was weird, wasn't it? Just when you look back, it was so, so bizarre. It's football manager tactics. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, it's, it's, it's not. Just... A, it's, it's the kind of thing you'd expect to do on FIFA when you're, you know, ten minutes to go, chase the game, and just throw every attacking player you've got in your your ultimate team on or something like that. It's not based in any kind of reality, and I think we've <laughs> actually seen it a wee bit this this deal. Okay, fair enough, we got a goal, but when you do that, you have a real issue actually getting the ball to the forward players because you need ball carriers on your side. You need someone yeah. to to move the ball from back to front. It's why football manager tactics don't actually work in the real world. <laughs> and we really struggled with it this day because even even though we had all these attacking players on the park, but nobody to actually get the ball to them. Mm-hmm. I just remember that that day, Rob Keelan just standing. <laughs> so, in yeah, there. And, and I think it was maybe the first sign that even though. Sorry, go. But it was this weird thing as well of like when you say about Rob Keelan just playing in the. Just standing there, just really, just not doing anything because Motherwell just weren't. I Motherwell just happy to try and get the the one and just sat back. So Rob Keelan was just sta- Rob Keelan West Fotheringham and just at the half of themselves. But as you say, you just you don't have that structure. You don't have who's going to get the ball forward to like say Joe Garner, Martin Waghorn. There was nobody there to be that pivot. And that's a concern as well because yeah. this is the second game into his tenure, right? Mm-hmm. And you're wanting to start to see some kind of imprint of ideas or a philosophy or a way of playing. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. You can't just bin every idea that you're at least trying to impose just to throw loads of attackers onto the pitch. That's not a footballing philosophy. That's not an idea. That's not tactics, so to speak. And that was the first real major alarm bell that went off in my head to say, well, I don't actually know if this guy got it tactically to change a game. Because we've sat in Ibrox before where we've been 1-0 down or, or drawn once or something at halftime. Mm-hmm. It happens, it's football but then what you look for is a response in the second half how are you going to go and turn that game around and I want to see a lot more from my Rangers manager than I'll just throw some attackers on the pitch and then hope for the best because that's that's what that was it's not tactics, it's not management mm-hmm. and that was the first real sign in my head of going I, I'm really really concerned about whether this guy actually has it 
or not, it was still early days, and I'm still trying to convince myself. I was like, listen, as as early days, it's not hit the panic button. Was still a bit unreasonable, or or throw the baby out with the bathwater, or anything like that. We've been rotten all season. Try to kind of play these things over my head. But there is that that we niggly doubt in the back that says that no, a, a proper manager doesn't do this. That, that's not the route that they go down. Yeah, we've got two old firm games to talk about, and we're just going to go through them individually. The first one was a two 0 semi final defeat at Hamden in the Scottish Cup. Now. I want to say this day, I cannot, what I remember of it is that Rangers, they just never really were able to get anything going. I think Halliday gets sent off. McGregor sold a really tidy goal really early on, but I think it was just a, there was a lot of confidence coming into that day. I don't know if it was just hope more than anything, but it was this weird thing of, you thought this, this guy could maybe just have something up his sleeve against a Celtic team, but there was just nothing that day and it was just that the sending off changed it. It was just a weird, weird day, wasn't it? Yeah, I think um, it was a Patrick Roberts at Andy Hardy filled uh, yeah. quite early on in the game and at that point you're like, oh, okay, so no matter what manager you are, any kind of plan you had Plans going into it, uh, Yes, but even that, that, I think possibly the result we had at Parkhead maybe raised expectations to a, a possibly unreasonable level. But again, it's maybe things that you and I were speaking about off there about wanting to go into games competing and keep them honest. And mm-hmm. I think we were all firmly aware in our heart of hearts that this Celtic side were light years ahead of where this Rangers side were. But again, there's the fundamentals you want to see in a game like this. He just didn't really lay a glove on them. And not even in the in the sense that you weren't just keeping them honest at the back or usually we weren't really doing Anything. It was a really, really weird old firm game, actually. I don't think Celtic were nearly at their best with it nah. either because, obviously, McGregor scored so early and Halliday got sent off. It was kind of done mm-hmm. by that point. And I think everyone in the stadium knew it. I don't think they really put the foot down to go and exert themselves the way that we would see them doing later old firm games. I don't think this Rangers team actually at that point believed they could get back in it. You're maybe getting to the point where you're thinking, OK, if we can keep it tight in the second half, last, you know, 10, 15 minutes or something, if we can hit them with a corner, then that's probably our best hope. But as I say, it seemed done so early on. It was just, it was a really, really weird game to, to, to sit through. And even at Pedro at that point, I didn't really want to attach too much blame to him because, as I say, there was mitigating circumstances there. And you go down to 10 men at Hamden against Celtic, then it's probably never going to end well. But even at that, as I say, we didn't lay a glove on him and it was just really disappointing from that perspective. Six days later, Rangers host Celtic at Ibrox in the final World Farm game of the season. I remember specifically my dad dropping me off to get the bus that day and he said, let's hope it's just not hard to watch. Those were bad words. Those were those are words that always stick with me with that game because there's three things that stick out to me this day and I want to just go through them. You can obviously give your assessment of the game, but Lee Griffiths wiping his nose in the corner flag. Yep. Kenny Miller scoring at 4-1 and some fans actually cheering, whereas I just sat in my seat. And Lustig just doing this mazy run. And I've got to be honest, I'll say, I've said this, this is the only time I've ever left Ibrox early because after seeing that, I just couldn't sit there and do it anymore. Seeing Michael Lustig just do that just showed that this was a, that this was a horrendous day. But those are the three things that have stuck out to me with that day. What was your kind of memories of the the 5-1 defeat in the final game of the final old firm game. It's funny, actually, I just don't want to kind of work backwards, but it's funny you're talking about leaving Ibrox early because I was talking to a heart support in Palomar the other day about leaving games early. <laughs> um, 
And I said, if I've sat through Rangers 1, Celtic 5 at Ibrox, and I can pretty much sit through just about anything else. Yeah. I feel quite, feel quite confident in doing that. But it's the closest I've ever came to leaving a game early of my I own. I left life. after I lost yeah. the goal, yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of that, that was sort of the root of the conversation. It's, it's maybe a, a wider point about fandom. Because he was asking, he's like, why did you sit there for that? Just no. to watch them have a party. And I was like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I couldn't really articulate it. I was like, he certainly wasn't sitting watch, you know, Celtic fans enjoy themselves. But so that kind of weird thing. I was like, no, I'm just going to stoically try and sit here to the end as if I was proving a point to anyone. But it was uh, mm-hmm. weird, the psychology of it fascinates me, even even in myself. Lee Griffiths in the corner, like, yeah, it's, it's, you get what you pay for. Lee Griffiths, he's, he's a classless scumbag. We all know that. It, it, it annoyed me at the time, but I also remember turning around to my dad and saying, listen, I wish Lee Griffiths wishing his nose on the corner flag was the biggest issue that we had that day on the back. It wasn't. Not by a long shot. No, no, and no. And like, Lee Griffiths is a brilliant lightning rod for us as Rangers fans because we know what kind of person he is and he's a horrible, horrible scumbag, like I say. But that, that was not the biggest, my my biggest issue with what I've seen on the park that day. <laughs> the, the Miller goal as well at 4-1, yeah, I, I didn't cheer it. That's um, even... Lesser score lines than that. I remember probably the most recent example would be Hamden last year against Hibs um, in, in the League Cup when we scored no. to make it 3 1. I didn't cheer that either because you're just it's done. Even, <laughs> um, this game more so than the Hamden game, obviously. But it, again, what, what, what you're proving, uh, they played goal music as well. Uh, am I, yeah, right? that's right. I remember yeah, that like, correctly. You're just like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, you know, like, best self respect. Um, but no, I'm not going to sit and slate anyone that digs it. It is a possibly involuntary reaction to cheer yeah, from your team. Nah. But and I, I, feel, I, was, I feel bad about it, but just it was like, nah. no, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but it was just, I was so angry that you know what I mean. It was almost so angry that I couldn't really speak or you know, verbalize anything because I was worried that if I actually started shouting, I wouldn't stop. That is definitely one of the, the angriest I've been at Ibrox, if not the angriest, because obviously that was Celtic's biggest ever win at Ibrox. And you, you, just to, to sit through that and we talk about all those things in terms of keeping them honest and competing and, and listening, we understand that that Celtic team is better than this Rangers team, but there are fundamentals of this game. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. Even in the modern era, when we are sitting here talking after an absolute hiding off Celtic a couple of weeks ago in, in the league, the fundamentals don't change. You can, you can get beat. Celtic, it's not a popular thing to say, but it can happen. It's football, it's an old firm. Celtic are going to beat Rangers in my lifetime again. We are going to be Celtic in my lifetime again. That that does happen. That's the nature of the beast. Yeah. What cannot happen for Rangers players, you can't give up. And that, that's what they've done this day. Fundamentally, they gave up after Sinclair scored in what is it, the seventh or eighth minute? Yeah, seventh minute, yeah. minute with a penalty. They, they, they were done. They, they were mentally done and it, the whole thing just fell apart and at no point did they believe that they could try and you know, stay in the game or be competitive or keep them honest in it. You try and show us something that they had only a couple of weeks previously at Parkhead and just to fall apart like that is utterly, utterly unforgivable. Utterly mm-hmm. unforgivable. And this is the thing about Pedro as well and we'll come to speak about the summer. There is no such thing as a clean slate in football. It's a, it's a misnomer and a I kind of misstep that we tell ourselves as fans as a comfort blanket. And that's what I heard a lot after this game. So just let him get his own players in, let him get his own players in. And that was from the, the uber optimistic something. I said it. I, went, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. Sorry, on you go. I said it after the, I remember, I didn't say it specifically after this because I was just so disgusted with how, it, but I remember after the Aberdeen game later on, remember it was 2 1. Aberdeen uh-huh. won for the first game, first time in like 30 years at Ibrox or something like that. But I remember saying, I think it was with my dad as well. And I said to my dad, I said, listen, he'll get his own players in. He saw, he saw there's a lot of 
Deadwood needing gone in the summer. But it was this thing as well of he just didn't seem to he just didn't seem to kind of say the right things post match. And well, that, that was the worry. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the thing as well in terms of kind of getting the own players in and, and giving him this time to kind of check out the squad. And mm-hmm. if we want to even again bring it to a contemporary example, Stephen Gerrard has suffered a wee bit from this down at Aston Villa, where if you're going to get that time to assess a squad, that's fine. But football fans don't forget, as I'm saying, there is no such thing as a clean slate because the minute you have one bad result after the summer when you do have your own players, you're going to start looking back and going, right, well, hang on a minute, the same thing happened. You know, last season as well, yeah. Gio suffers a wee bit from it and has done already this season where you do give him a summer, like the way that he has, and you have that in your head, it's going to be this clean break because you're looking over the horizon to this kind of golden period of next season, this ethereal thing of next season. But next season is just a continuation of the last. We see it all the time where a team has a bad end to one season and then has a bad start to the following. As I'm saying, there's no such thing as a clean slate. Gio suffered a bit from it this season and Pedro was, was going to suffer from it massively in the season that would follow this one and this was a massive, massive aspect of that because when the, the beating started happening in the season the previous, this is the game that would come up time and time again is the one that people would point to and say it really started to fall apart and this is where belief started to fall apart for Pedro as well as I'm saying, I think, I think that you had to be a real kind of uber optimist to say oh yeah, he can get his own players in and then this will suddenly magically lift Rangers Football Club because the doubts were already there. As I say, nothing about the whole game with a tactical element of it, just throwing players onto the park. Then, you know, fine, it's early on in the days, but a real manager doesn't do that. Yeah. A Rangers team should not be getting scurried by one either. It's obviously Celtic under any circumstances, under any management, under any length of team. just should not happen. And, and here we are. Yeah, and Rangers finished the season in third, but... Rangers get into the summer with a bit of optimism and more. We'll go through the signings that he makes over the summer because there's a lot of... We'll go through them individually, actually, because there's a lot of, kind of things I would like to say about them how I felt at the time. But we'll start with the, the outgoings now. I'm just going to run through them quickly and see who you would have kept out of these. Clint Hill, Philip Senderos, Joe Garner, Barry Mackay, Matt Crooks, Rob Kiernan and Martin Waghorn. The only one I would maybe have kept out of that would be Martin Waghorn. But I just don't think Pedro fancied him. I don't think he fancied Mackay either. But I kind of think Mackay had just, I just, I just don't think that would have worked. I don't think my, Pedro fancied Mackay. And I think Mackay didn't fancy playing for Pedro either. It was just a weird thing. But would there any of them you'd have kept? I, in spite of Pedro, I would like to have kept Barry Mackay. But I'm not sure if that's me speaking with too much recency bias, given his latest performances for Hearts. Mm-hmm. I think at that time, you're right. I don't think Pedro really fancied him. I think he'd kind of faded out of the picture a wee bit. Barry Mackay wasn't putting in the level of performances that we knew he was capable of. So, yeah, I, I can I can see the logic there. Um, Martin Waghorn, yeah, fully because he was a goal scorer for Rangers. Martin Waghorn done, done a decent time. Martin Waghorn's a good actually. player for Rangers, yeah. Aye. And he's went on Aye. to do well. He's uh, he done well at Derby. He's... He's a he's a good player. He would have done well in a good Rangers team, and I think he did. I think he, I, I think the the summer the, the season in the Championship, he was really really good. Yeah, and uh, that's that's the thing with Martin Wycorn. He was never going to be that player who would take us to the next level that yeah. we needed to get to. But for that kind of moment in time, then he was a perfectly serviceable player who I had a lot of time for. There's there's someone who left this summer who. Definitely, retrospectively, I would love to have kept, and he went to Chelsea. That's Billy Gilmore. Billy Gilmore, yeah. 
Billy Gilmore left in the uh, start of that summer, obviously, you go to Chelsea now. This is in a totally different sphere to the, the, the first thing we're talking about. But in terms of player, you would just have loved to have kept on the books, given what yeah. he has went on. But given where we were as a club at the time, we would have probably loaned him to Dunfermline and ruined his career. So that, that is one thing. But just given the way that he is uh, stratospherically developed uh, as a Chelsea player now, obviously playing for Brighton, you would you just love to have had him. In that and there was, a push but... to keep, there was a push to keep him, I think. Yeah. Pedro. I think yeah, even but... Malky Mackay said something about wanting him to stay at Rangers as well. And it was just this... But he's think... done the right thing. Yeah, oh, he done absolutely done the right thing. But we'll get through the players Rangers brought in. First of all, Rangers on the 31st of May announced the signing of Bruno Alves from Cagliari. Bruno Alves, obviously, a very experienced international for Portugal. This, I remember, being the kind of feeling amongst the Rangers support at the time that this guy was going to be the the leader, the, the main man of Pedro. He was going to come in and just be his voice on the park. And I was really excited about that signing because I felt he was, he was very experienced Really good player back in his day, and he would just come in and steady the ship. And Rangers really needed some good central defenders. Yeah, and I, I think if you're you're not getting excited about a player who's you know played for Porto and Saint Petersburg and, and Fenerbahce and and their time, and obviously had such an illustrious career with the with the Portuguese national team, then you're doing something wrong. And I, I agree with you. I think at the time I was sitting thinking myself, going, okay, this this seems like a, a Pedro type signing, whatever the hell that means, but. He could be a leader in the park. He could give us a wee bit more grit than we've had before. And you and I have spoken about that. That soft underbelly to this Ranger side is not the kind of words you would usually associate with a player like Bruno Alves. So I begin to kind of hopefully see the the strength of this Rangers team uh, take shape on the park. He didn't seem like a kind of player who would ever take any, any nonsense. You thought, okay, the physical element of it, he might be quite suited to, to Scottish football. So it was definitely one I could get behind and see the logic in. And you're right, that was one of the one of the first ones that we announced that, that summer, if not the first. So you're thinking, okay, if it carries on like this, then you know, we could be in for a strong, strong summer. And the kind of worst kept secret at the time, Rangers obviously signed Ryan Jack from Aberdeen. Aberdeen, now I've got to be honest, at the time, I didn't rate Ryan Jack. I thought he was a decent SPL player. I didn't think he was Rangers level. Now he's proved me wrong. He's went on to do really well for Rangers. He's obviously had some really difficult times with injuries. But in hindsight, this was a, this made a lot of sense. He was probably well the kind of right guy at this time. Obviously came from Aberdeen, which put a lot more pressure on him. But... Yeah, signing was good. I do remember thinking at the time, and uh, I was proved right on this. Was like he's going to get sent off every week for <laughs> us because I, I I did see I seen the logic in Ryan Jack quite a lot. Um, so did my dad. I think my dad loves Ryan Jack even now more than he loves me. To be honest, I just I, I can't say a, I can't say a word of criticism about. Him. But I can see the logic, as I say, on a free, mm-hmm. especially the Aberdeen captain, he would provide that level of grip in the midfield that we'd wanted, but I did have that massive concern of he is not going to get away with the same kind of challenges for Rangers as he does for Aberdeen. It just doesn't work that way, not in Scottish football, not with the referees that we have. Now, don't get me wrong, some of the red cards that Ryan Jack was going to pick up were absolute oh. stonewall red cards and the Rangers yeah. challenges, but he does that in an Aberdeen shirt, he probably gets away with it. So there is that, and I think over the kind of period of time we've seen the development in Ryan Jack, we did cut that out of his game massively, and it was needed for the sake of his Rangers career. But just in terms of, as I say, just that, that passiveness that you almost wanted to see in this Rangers scene, mm-hmm. you could see it beginning to take shape. So I absolutely see the logic in it. It's not the sexiest transfer we had in the summer. Some of the sexiest transfers we had in that summer didn't work out, but he was definitely one that made a lot of sense, especially, as I say, on a free. Yeah. The next two, let's get through, let's do them as a package. On the 6th of June, Rangers signed Dalcio from Benfica, and the 7th of June, Fabio Cardoso from Vitoria. 
Ross, I remember telling people at the time, I said, this Fabio Cardoso is going to be an ex-Carlos Queller. Now, in a way, <laughs> I not for the ways I thought, but he's had a really good career. He's now at Porto. He's playing Champions League football. He's a regular starter for Porto. Dalcio, on the other hand, now there is this weird feeling that one name, if you've got one name and you're a winger, you instantly become a fan's favourite. Now, Adam, there was a lot of excitement about Dalcio, but we'll go on to later on. He just it was, wasn't up to it, was he? The pedigree where he came from as well, coming from Benfica, yeah, Benfica. obviously, obviously the, the Benfica B team, of course, but still it's just that, you know, he's came from a team that you've heard of, you know what I mean, a team mm-hmm. with a good pedigree and it's not like, uh, no disrespect, Fabio Cardoso coming from Vitoria, you know, or Ryan Jack coming from Aberdeen, it's, it's just, as I say, it's not sexy, whereas, oh, Benfica, and a youth player from Benfica as well, that, that's got a bit about them. And again, you do, you think of these what in your head would be Pedro Cristina type signings you can kind of start to see it take shape and I'm talking earlier before about how it's a wee bit of a misnomer from France to say oh once they get their own players and everything's going to be fine because there is no such thing as a, a clean slate in football but you are starting to try and look for an idea if not directly jump out and see it here so it's definitely one that excited me for those reasons because we hadn't had that in the past, you know, an exciting young winger coming in with the one name, like you say, and it's all the things you can really buy into as a football fan, but just never ever cut the mustard. Cardoso, on the other hand, even when he was with us, I never thought he was a, a bad defender. Um, I, I just, he didn't, he didn't, I thought he was, he's obviously a very good player, but he's not, his physicality, maybe just, his physicality in Scottish football just didn't go hand in hand, I think, but yeah, I think he's, He's shown very clearly he's a good player. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The the physical element of it, I I think a lot of people kind of... I need to pick my words very, very carefully here. I think a lot of people may have questioned it unfairly after the Motherwell semi-final, mm-hmm. um, which I know that we'll talk about, even though that's, you know, he got his nose broken completely un- unjustly and what you meant to do after that situation. But in the press especially, he got painted as a soft touch because of yeah. that and the way the Motherwell uh, players carried on after that game. Again, disgraceful, but just added to this completely unfair narrative that, that Cardoso was a soft touch, which is just not the case. I think he's another one who's maybe benefited from going, obviously, back to Portugal and playing in that different setting that suits his game an awful lot more I think on the more general physical point of Scottish football it, did, it didn't suit him it didn't suit a lot of these players you know, players like Dalcio who you know easy on the eye and that's absolutely fine he's come through all the luxuries of the, the Benfica youth system mm-hmm. then we need to go out away to a team like Motherwell or, or, or a Dundee or something like that or St Mirren that's just not going to be conducive to that kind of playing environment we've seen that not just with, with these lads to be fair but other loanies uh, under Stephen Gerrard as well who have had all the luxuries of the Liverpool loan system it just doesn't really translate into the, the nitty gritty of Scottish football it's not, it's not for everyone for a reason Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Kandias comes in from Benfica again made a lot of sense was, a, was came from Portugal came from Benfica good pedigree I thought Kandias was actually really underrated in his time at, at Rangers uh, the, the, fact, the fact we still talk about him yeah uh, Daniel Kandias done a turn for Rangers he, yeah. he, he was a good player he put in a lot of um, effort showed a lot of uh, passion in inverted commas which, which people like to see but uh, if if in the, the modern day, if Daniel Kandias is the answer, which some people still believe that he is, then I think we're asking the, the wrong questions. I, I think, again, for the, the moment in time, maybe in the way we were talking about Barry Mackay there, possibly could have been good in that moment in time, or Martin Waghorn was good in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Daniel Kandias was good for that moment in time. He'd done a turn 
for Rangers, he was a serviceable player for us. I, I don't think he was ever that player who could step up and take us to the next level. And when he moved on in the end, in Gerard's second season, it was probably the, the right time to do so because we were looking for bigger and better things and more output mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I think that's the kind of big thing with Daniel Condace. He never really got that that next level of output that would take him to that that, that kind of level of being that, that driving force for Rangers. You got a lot of endeavour a lot of the time, and that's you know great to see, but not when you're going and chasing games and goals. The next two, Eduardo Herrera from UNAM in Mexico and Carlos Peña from Guadalajara. Ah, this, this is a tough one because we are recording this on the week where Carlos Peña has, I think there's been some sort of court case regarding his time at Rangers. I think he's dismissal, but it was a weird... Two signings at the time that made a lot of sense because obviously Cachina had the Mexican background. He'd been at Mexico, been in Mexico with Santos, and he was very, very vocal about what these two guys did. But they did Pena. To be fair to him, I think he was. He obviously had a lot of personal problems, but Pena did actually do okay. Herrera just never really just made the grade, did he? Yeah. Um, Pena, like you say, it's, it's, it's right to bring up his, his personal problems. That obviously did. That have a factor, but Herrera just never really happened for him. You maybe seen it in flashes, possibly fair to say that of two of them. Actually, I remember that Pena happened for a particularly very, very good game against Aberdeen. You kind of thought, yeah, okay, yeah. here we go. And you, you maybe had that with a couple of them where they had those moments, but it was never ever anything consistent there. Um, and, and and like you say, I just don't think maybe the environment coming over again from, from Mexico to, to Scotland is <laughs> completely night and day in terms of the culture and the <laughs> style of living and, and everything to do with that. It possibly was always going to end quite badly, but there we go. Alfredo Morelos from HAK Helsinki. This was he's all right. Yeah, he's I mean, he's certainly done done okay this time at Rangers, <laughs> but at the time this felt like I think uh, Jonathan Johansson was obviously there. Remember, Pedro wanted a Scottish based assistant. But obviously, obviously, Johansson is a kind of fit, obviously coming from Finland. I think he'd arrived, kind of, Johansson had recommended him. But I remember at the time thinking, this guy, kind of, he was raw, very raw at the start. But get a bit of time into him, he'll score goals. And I think he's proved to do, be a pretty decent bit of business. I think Pedro's shining light of this whole spell. And Pedro seems to agree because he remember very recently, I can't remember if this was last year, he said something to a, a fan walking into a stadium. I can't remember what game it was, but he said, yeah, I got you Morelos. Oh, so was, was this um, was this Braga? I think it was Braga. I think it was Braga, but I, that, that sticks. I, it was actually Benfica. It was, I'm sure it was last season at Benfica, if I'm right. But you think about that and you just see, like, Morelos actually at the time, you could see there was something there very early on because he's just turned out to be a massive player for Rangers and still we still talk about him now as a a top player. Five years has been at Ibrox and he's been, it's been an up and down five years, but what a five years it's been. Oh Christ, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> and I think um I think that's why we're almost in this kind of toxic relationship with Alfredo Morelos where he pisses us off and we keep coming back to him because we do, we love him. Yeah. I think because he's human, you know what I mean? We look at footballers these days, you look at Ronaldo and Messi, you look at Haaland. Haaland's a freak, right? He's a, he's an alien. Yeah. He's not human. He, he He's ethereal. He's not tangible. We can't touch Haaland. You can with Morelos. We've been with him through the ups and downs in the same way that we as fans have been through the ups and downs with the club. 
the same way in his spell here, there's been ups and downs with the club and there's been ups and downs with him personally. You can see it and you can feel that human story and that, that's a large part of why we love Morelos. It's not just the, the goals that he scored for Rangers and will go on and score for Rangers in the future of his career. It's to do with the story as much as anything else coming over from Helsinki, like you say, uh, this this young guy, incredibly raw, doesn't speak the language. You get that kind of cheeky, chappy, chappy yeah. element of it. Doesn't really get a fair hearing, hearing in the press, but I, I, against that has this hot-headed temper and, you know, has let us down on occasions, but will then pull it back with these big goals and big moments. And mm. he, he loves the fans and he speaks about it. It's just everything. It's an incredible, incredible story with Morelos. It is obviously still, still being written. But I think that's as fans why we love him so much and relate to him because we do feel the human element of it in a way that you don't really get with an awful lot of other players. That, listen, there's players in the Rangers team who I utterly adore and, you know, who are, are heroes to me. But you just don't have that raw human element of it that you do with Morelos. And that's a, a large, large part of the reason as to why we love him. And he will. I think he is a Rangers legend. I think he's unfair to say anything else now, given the, the amount of goals that he's scored and the big occasions that he's been a part of. And obviously the playing his part in 55 as well. Mm-hmm. European goals, uh, everything about Morelos is just kind of conducive to being a legend. But the toxic relationship is also the way I put it because there's been plenty of times in the past where we've all, as fans, I think, went, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done with him, I'm fucking done with him, I don't ever want to see him again. I'd drive him to X, Y, and Z if I could, and we always keep coming back because there is that raw human element of it that, that we're addicted to as football fans. That it's, it's refreshing to see, as I say, in the world where so many footballers are ethereal to us as fans, to, to have this you know, a raw, human, tangible person that we can reach out and touch and we all, you know, story of his family and everything like that. And it's everything about Alfredo Morelos, the aura, the person, the player that, that we're addicted to. Mm-hmm. The one thing that really excited me from this summer was Graham Dorans coming yes. from Norwich. He was a really good player. So unlucky with injuries, but he would have been tremendous for Rangers. And he was in that short spell, but he was, I remember him getting injured, I think it was in Pedro's last game actually against Gomalmet, but I mean, Gerard fancied him so much as well. He, uh-huh. See, if he'd just get fat, he would have been so important to that Rangers team. Oh, it's a story of Rangers history. And if he was fat, if he could do this, I think yeah. he'd do that. But I, I agree with, with Dorans. And it, it really, really was a kind of tragic tale almost because you're right, it wasn't, he wasn't just a, a shining light in this period as well. Gerard really, really loved Graham Dorans and he played mm-hmm. him a lot when he first came in. Although in that, that Remember kind of him short... against Villarreal, he was unbelievable when he came on. Ah, um, he helped change the game. Mm-hmm. And and then what was that way to Kelly on that fucking plastic pitch? Yeah, he just it killed him. Absolutely killed his Rangers career and really kind of stalled in terms of football and career after that as well. But I think had that not happened, he would have had a massive part to play, especially in the kind of early spell under Gerard because he absolutely loved him. And you can see why. I think you kind of get the best of both worlds when we spoke about Kandias here. You get the best of Graham Dorrance's endeavour, but you also get a high level of output as well from Graham Dorrance and you could see what he would bring to this Rangers side and obviously coming from the the, the pedigree of Norwich City sounds almost um, <laughs> almost like an oxymoron but you know he came from that high level of play yeah. and you, you could see what kind of quality he was playing against week in week out because he would bring that football knowledge to the park and a manager stream, an absolute manager stream but you're right, just killed, utterly killed by injuries. Declan John and Aaron the man he made up the, the signings that summer, it was all about the the return to Europe the first time in five years Rangers would play European football and they faced Luxembourg side progress Niederkorn now Ross the first leg of this I remember this very specifically because I took a, a friend up to the game who had never been to a Rangers game and I said to him pick a score line pick a correct score 
and we both picked six now. We thought this was going to be a drop range, but one to fifty in the coupon. And the first leg went up to Ibrox, one nil. Very slow game, nothing really happened. Kenny Miller scored really early on, but we thought one nil one. Let's just get the second leg out of the way and let's move on. But the second leg, now I have never had a weirder feeling in my entire life than falling football and losing two goals to a team from Luxembourg and going out of Europe at the first time of asking to the fourth best team in Luxembourg. How big a disaster was this for the club and for the support who had craved this European comeback so specifically? Oh, it was a catastrophe. Oh, it was, yeah. it was, it was an absolute catastrophe. And all over the summer, you're wanting to move on from that mindset, as I spoke about right at the start of the show, being battered you know, physically and psychologically by Rangers Football Club from pillar to post, the humiliating, not being able to want to go into your work or see you know, any Celtic support mates you might have the next day because... It was horrible, utterly horrible. And you're thinking, even though, as I say, you know in your heart of hearts that summer is not a fresh start because it doesn't exist, you're thinking maybe we can start to move past that and at least build some credibility back to us and the way that would happen the summer after this. And then this happens. And you're right, kind of sitting at Ibrox for the first game and it ends 1-0. You're, you're wanting a more comfortable scoreline than that. Mm-hmm. But there is a thing in your head of, okay, it's very, very early on in the season and we're maybe not quite up to our sparkling best, um, no laughing at the back. Um, <laughs> and then you, you go away to Luxembourg and we hit the, we hit the woodwork three times. Obviously, you know, Kenny Miller and, and Windass hit it. I, I can't write who else hit the, the, the post of the bar for us that night. And you do start to get this feeling of, you know, if they get one, then you know that they're in this. They're in this game anyway, and obviously you're in that kind of oppressive heat that you're in over there. And we weren't yeah. really playing well despite hitting the woodwork. And the longer that goes on, the more it gets into the players' head. Like, okay, shit, if they get one, then, then we're in trouble. And the more it gets into the progress players' head of going, shit, if we get one, they are in trouble. And it just becomes almost a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. And then uh, the first goal goes in, and absolute panic. Sets in, and I, I don't think it's unfair to say that. I think everyone absolutely panicked, and uh, progress obviously went and took advantage of that. And then, as soon as the, the second goes in, I, I talk about panic after the first goal. I don't even know where to describe the emotions uh, that I, I was feeling. My pals were feeling in the pub when that second goal goes in because it was just beyond panic. As I say, I don't think there is a word in the English language to quite to, to describe the, the range of you know anger and embarrassment and panic that, you know, we're going to go out of Europe here. Mm-hmm. And obviously you still have that um, silver bullet of the away goal, but I think at that point, everyone was just so spooked and so shocked and so panicked that we never really looked like getting it. And I don't know, how, how would you describe your emotions going through in that game? Because as I say, even thinking about the back now, it's really, really difficult to come towards with just that that last 15 minutes of that game is one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever had for the Rangers because it was like, it just... Um, absolute tour de force of, of every bad emotion of the last five years coming to the fore. And you're thinking that this is, in terms of the embarrassments we've had with the lower league teams, that this is worse than all of them by a distance, not just because of uh, who we're playing against, but it's on the European stage. This is made mm-hmm. to me us trying to make our way back and build that credibility. And 
We didn't just fall on our flat on our faces, but we went out in a couple of rounds later to, to a decent enough side that you can live with that. But to go out at this stage to a team who'd only scored like one European goal before playing us, it, I can't even begin <laughs> to describe the emotions that I, I was feeling in that last 15 minutes. And then I do remember at the full time whistle just feeling empty. It was as if that tour de force of emotions that just went through me so much in that 15 minutes that it just vacated me as soon as that whistle went. And it was just utter emptiness at the end. But how did you feel? I think you've, I think you've kind of touched well on how I felt at the time. I just felt I had this weird feeling as well because I was thinking, right, couple of, as you say, maybe a third round. Just I didn't think I didn't think Rangers even when even under the first season under Gerrard, I thought right four rounds is way too many. Yeah, to, yeah. But I also had this feeling as well that like Rangers they can't lose, they cannot lose this. Even just keep it tight for a now now, just get out of there, and move on to the next game, but. As you say, there was just this weird thing of there was no. When you knew when progress scored the first goal, I just I thought it was done. I thought progress would get through because I just didn't. I'd seen it already with this Rangers team that they just couldn't handle going behind. They just couldn't handle going behind, and they they thought themselves this is a a bad day. But even that humiliation, I thought would be they wouldn't they wouldn't let that happen. I just remember I remember that night just sitting in my my living room just absolutely disgusted, and then obviously you see the photos after it, Pedro and the the, yeah. be, the bush, but you still have this feeling as well, like it's not you still have this weird feeling of backing them because it's one of those freak results. That's just matter. This is a freak result. This can't happen. There was still that wee confidence that Rangers could claw could claw something back, but in hindsight. And we've saw that so many times. We've saw it recently with Jack Ross, for example. When you have a humiliating result, you never, you can never recover from it. A good example as well is Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire, kind of the best World Cup an England defender has ever had. But the next mistake he makes, he will always be judged on his mistakes. Bill Jones. Could Bill not Jones. recover from you know being ridiculed online as as much as what it was, and like yeah. I say, it kind of became that for us as well with the the images and the videos coming out of Pedro Cushini and the bush. And as I say, every kind of emotion of embarrassment and mm-hmm. rage and incandescent apoplectic anger that you you felt over the past few years just came to the fore again. And I think if we're being totally honest, and I think we kind of knew it ourselves then as well. Pedro Cushini's Rangers management career didn't end on the 26th of October 2017. It ended that night. Yeah, because, because there was, no, yeah, there was, was no way back. And, and that's what I mean. If you're a fresh manager, right, coming in totally fresh from the summer, and that's mm-hmm. what your second competitive game of Rangers, then it's an absolute disaster still. But you don't have anything to look back and compare you don't it have, to. Yeah, you don't have the 5-1 before that where yeah. you've said to yourself right. that this is a... That was a blip. That was a freak result. It's now happened again. How do you recover from that? And... It was There's just, no such thing as a fresh start. That's no, what I keep saying because you have that reference point in your head now where you can pin it back to that and say, we're embarrassing then, we're embarrassing now. I'm not seeing a linear improvement here. Why, why is this guy in charge of my football club? And as soon as that is in your head, as soon as that wee earworm gets in, there, there is no removing it. It's, you're done at that point. And some people, as I say, already have it with the current management team. We need to see if they can try and you know uh, turn that around in the, the mm-hmm. psyche of some of the support. But at that moment, as soon as that final whistle went and neither corner was done, and he was, he was a dead man walking from that point, it didn't matter what results he got or who he beat, it was done. 
and it was only a matter of time. I think that was a killer thing as well. It was like watching your own funeral in slow motion up until the end of October because we were not going anywhere under Kashinya. No. And that time we'll cover more embarrassing results. It just seemed to edge you closer to the inevitable. Then maybe there's an inevitable for every football manager. Every manager has a lifespan, and I think they all know that as well. But for it to be so so apparent what, what, the, what the end of this movie was going to be, I feel as though you were just waiting on someone to pull a trigger for you. It was, it was excruciating, absolutely excruciating. And it felt as though the season was gone before it had even started. Yeah. But again, with the expectations, obviously, we're not expecting to go in. I, I possibly wasn't expecting to go and take the lead from the invincible Celtic side. I think that would have been too much. But again, you want to see something else. And if we can't even see that at home to a fucking team from Luxembourg, then what, what chance are we going to have against, you know, the likes of like Hibs and Aberdeen's of Celtic in this world who genuinely hate us and want to batter us? It's never going to happen. And as you say, it was it went on from that. The league started, it was kind of up and down. You had the situation with Kenny Miller obviously been dropped after the... I still, to this day, don't know what actually happened there. I think I put it down to Kenny Miller maybe doing his Barry Ferguson back in the day, maybe telling Pedro that this wasn't good enough and Pedro taking it the wrong way and such and such. But the League Cup semi-final, we went through that. We'll, we'll kind of gloss over some of the results because I want to get to the League Cup semi-final because that, to me, felt at the end, I felt it was only a matter of time because Rangers had nothing that day. And as you say, there was just so much going on. Louis Moult tore Rangers to shreds. It just felt a really bad day. But the the kind of the up and down league start, there's so much happens. Give us your overall kind of thoughts and that the kind of slow end before we get to Kelly. As I say, excruciating because the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as though we came into that kind of run of games with a, a, a kind of, you know, I could run a form and we were playing well and you could at least see something that out of that. And like I say, after progress, he was a, he was a dead man walking. That that League Cup semi-final, again, was another incredibly telling one because we had nothing about us. And this is not the first time this has happened at Hamden under Pedro. Now, I understand that Celtic is a different kettle of fish and it was mitigating circumstances in that day in terms of Andy Halliday being sent off. Mm-hmm. But there was this was the second time we went to Hamden under Pedro and were utterly, utterly toothless. Mm-hmm. And this is not a game against Celtic. You can almost write that one off because of the circumstances of losing an early goal and having a man sent off and they're a better team than us. And you, you can kind of explain that way. This was inexcusable. Utterly, utterly inexcusable. And the, the kind of pantomime that went on in the touchline as well with him getting sent off and sent yeah. to the stand and hell, as I say, it's just a, an extra layer of embarrassment onto an already you know, excruciatingly awful day. And we're coming to the end of it at that point um, in October. And like I say, it just it feels as though, if not now, then then when? And was, am I right in saying Kelly was the game right after that as yeah, well? Yeah, was sitting in the director's box, yeah. Rangers took the lead really early, I'm pretty sure. Jason Holt scored and Coman, there was nothing really happening. You just thought this was going to be a routine one now. He would kind of jump on for a wee while yet. And as you say, it was always... That day, I remember specifically going in, just thinking, right, if Rangers win today, it'll just be the next bad defeat, and that'll be it. But that the end of that game, just <sighs> unbelievable. Uh, I summed it up. Rangers got a penalty. Ryan Jackson sent off for the thing and cut Broadfoot. Just crazy. Just on Broadfoot's part as well. I mean, it's just a a stupid, stupid thing he, he did, and Jack obviously reacted, but. If anything could sum up the Pedro Cachinha reign, I think it's this, what I'm going to talk about here. Rangers penalty get saved, Kumala got up the park, and Chris Buck makes it 1-1, and I just remember that just 
the one being out of sales and that was it. Pedro's time was up. And I remember very specifically leaving Ibrooks that night, walking to the car with my dad, and I think my brother was there as well, and I says, and everybody was talking about it, they knew it was just a matter of time before Pedro would get sacked. And I remember saying to my dad, I says, this board have now had two managerial appointments that they both messed up. Can you trust them with a third one? And I remember that's the words that I said that night, leaving that, leaving Ibrooks. Because we all knew that was it. This was the this was the final death death nail in the coffin, as I say. I just said this was it. This was the this was the end as far as and it turned out to be true. But we all knew it. Yeah, as I say, the writing was on the wall, and we're now down to, to fourth in the league. Mm-hmm. At that point, Motherwell had actually overtaken us. This was um, one Steve Clark's first game in charge of, of, of Kilmarnock. I think it enough, was, yeah, just, I think you're yeah, right. I think um, you're right. Which just, uh, I'd say, they end up rubbing salt in the winds there. But <laughs> it had been a dead man walking situation since the progress game. And to know that and still continue with it, is, is kind of criminal negligence in itself almost because we could all see where it was going to go and it was just a matter of, of if not when there was no turning that around it's it just in, impossible from an embarrassment like that it doesn't just hit the fans hard it hits the entire club hard and the confidence of the players as well and the confidence the players have in the management takes a huge huge hit and it would take something superhuman to try and turn that around which mm-hmm. Pedro Cushina was just evidently at that point not capable of mm-hmm. and I think I'm, I'm, I'm the same as you and I remember the rage when that when that burp goal went and it's not like the kind of the, the usual you know, almost feeling of emptiness again when, when a late equalizer goes in we'll feel it kind of feels numb and it just feels horrible and you feel empty it was like incandescent anger mm-hmm. at that point that, that, that came out and you felt it a full time because it wasn't just being directed at the players on the park for throwing you away or the manager who was in the stands for just not being good enough it was directed at the board too because mm-hmm. they are culpable in this and like I say as much as I could understand at the time or at least try and convince myself to understand the logic of it they are still the people in, in, in charge and they can be taken by someone's charm and I can understand the human element of decision-making. But as much as they would get the credit if Pedro turned out to be a masterstroke and they do get the credit for the next permanent managerial appointment, yeah. they absolutely deserve the ire for this one. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the day after it's confirmed Pedro was sacked. We'll touch on his overall kind of legacy later on, but Graham Murray comes back into kind of steady the ship, a couple of wins against Hearts and obviously later on he but it's some really bad results against the D in that game at Hamill and at Ibrooks, I will never forget. But the one period I want to touch on was obviously the appointment for a manager. Again, Rangers were trying to get the get the new manager in quickly. It turned into a bit of a shambles. I have seen the managerial list, or I've I've heard of it. I've seen some of the names on it, and I'm not going to say the names, but some of the names on it fill you with horror. That that's the market Rangers were in at the time. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't it's, surprise me. It's genuinely managers like the Dundee United job, like the the United job, probably the most recent job in Scotland that's came up. I don't think these guys would have got that job. Uh, again, I think it it shows possibly how spooked they were mm-hmm. by what had happened before, and we'll, we'll talk about Dan McInnes in a wee second in, yes, in particular. But <laughs> oh, must be. Um, <laughs> But I think Derek McInnes was possibly the obvious name to come out of that. But in terms of kind of other other general managerial appointments, if you had been down the route or something so off the wall and so out of the blue and it has failed so miserably, then you're going to be spooked into 
is something that you know. And now the manager do calibre in Scotland, what we know is is very, very rarely good enough for Rangers. We've talked about McLeish here, really, for the last major success story. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the same. Yeah. It's, it's not the same calibre. It's not the same way to get into a club psyche. It doesn't excite the fans. And if we thought that what was going to happen with McInnes was embarrassing enough, and my God, it was. If you can imagine, if I point to some of the other names, I, I think you and I might have heard the same. And if that had been a disaster, then it sets us back even further than what we already were. Well, it comes very clear that Derek McInnes was the, the the board's choice to come in. I remember kind of forcing myself at the time, and my dad, my, I've used my dad quite a lot in this episode, probably more than I have in any other episodes, but I remember he was very against Derek McInnes coming in because the way Aberdeen would obviously not make it easy to get him, as we soon found out, but what does it say that the best you can get is the Aberdeen manager? Now, I know that obviously McLeish had came from Hibs and things like that and it can work, but it wasn't, it was going to be this bit like my dad was a fan of Mark Robert and style of football. We kind of liked the way Pedro played as well at times, but one thing you can say about Derek McInnes, and I think we've seen it now with his time at Kilmarnock, he isn't, he isn't focused on playing attractive football. No. No, and I, I think as well, it really does show how rocked we were by the Kishina element of it, that mm-hmm. not just the board were willing to go for the Aberdeen manager, but a lot of Rangers fans, we wanted them in as well. Uh, they could I think because it, it he just was. felt a bit of stability. Like, better the double, you know. Exactly. Better the double. We knew, we knew what we were getting from Denver. Mm-hmm. We knew what we would have got from Denver, because this is, is probably more accurate way to say that. And, and as I say, we had been so burned by this off-the-wall appointment of Pedro Cushina that even though we knew that Derek McInnes is not the most exciting or sexy manager we could have appointed, uh, given the, the list that I think was there, none, none of them were. Um, no. But we at least knew what we were going to get, and it wouldn't be exciting and it wouldn't be thrilling, but it would be an improvement and the stability is the right word to use there than what, what we had before. Now, looking back, it is one of the biggest dodge bullets that we've ever had in our club's yeah. history in terms of that because of what we would go on to do in terms of appointing Stephen Gerrard. But in terms of that moment in time, again, and I keep talking about being embarrassed permanently by Rangers and how we were getting battered from fellow to post as fans and we had to try and go into work in, in you know, school or uni or wherever you were in and and, and face Celtic fans ridicule and yet this was one of the most public embarrassments that we had had off the park as much as we'd had on it. I remember getting a text message from somebody who you know as well, I'm not going to say who it is, but I'll probably tell you off air, but getting a text from somebody who's on heart and hand saying, McInnes has been appointed, he's picking the team for Saturday, and I'm pretty sure Rangers played Ross County in the Saturday, if I'm right, I would need to look at it. But something definitely changed because McInnes had agreed to take the job. That is, that's well documented. That did happen. Something spooked him or someone. We don't know, but... That was Peter Grant. It was, it was, Peter Grant didn't want to follow him to, to Rangers and then yeah, McInnes did not want... Tony Dockery, sorry. Oh, sorry, my, my, my apologies. Yes, Peter Grant and Rangers would not have won. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got no idea where, where Peter Grant came from. <laughs> my, my apologies, but that's, I guess... Yeah, that's the theory. Win. Yeah, that's did, the theory I've heard as well. But... That I think McInnes will look back at that time and regret it massively, but I remember at the time being raging at McInnes. I wasn't. I was raging at McInnes more than the board for some reason because I'm like, you've had, you've got this opportunity to come to Ibrox and you're turning it down to stay at Aberdeen. But 
the board de- definitely deserve their, their criticism for this as well because they made a complete mess of this. And again, looking back, it's, it's probably for the best. But I would say, was you, I remember at the time being angry at McInnes and mm-hmm. giving it a lot of the, the shite by part because it really did feel like that at the time mm-hmm. we had this opportunity to take this once in a career step up to Rangers. You know, it's not going to happen for you twice. The circumstances and the stars are not going to align enough for that to happen. And they turned it down. And it, it was a wee bit of the kind of spurned X type thing, you know, why why turn me down? Why are you rejecting me? That, that, that type of thing. But it really did feel like that and I couldn't really understand why apart from the fact that he you know was was stable in Aberdeen and he was he was comfortable and it, for me at the, at the time at least it screamed an absolute lack of ambition to come and take this project on but on the flip side if he is stable in Aberdeen and you know he was comfortable up there and you're looking at Rangers at that moment in time and you're thinking what well, kind of basket case for clubs that, that mm-hmm. we were sitting fourth in the league then as a manager, maybe that wouldn't be an appealing prospect to you, but there is still the element of as Rangers, and you really would have the opportunity to kind of build us from the ground up like Gerard would do. Now, would he have done it in the same style or to the same level of success as Stephen Gerard ultimately would? Of course not. That's not even in the conversation. But to have that project and turn it down, I think it showed a real, real lack of ambition on his part. I certainly don't think that Rangers would have stopped 10 in a row if Derek McInnes was a manager. No. Don't think no, that would have happened. And the money that we would have spent on job or players that Derek McInnes would probably have wanted to have bought in, I don't think we would have won 55 yet either. It would have set us back years. years. And don't get me wrong, Kashinia set us back years. Mm-hmm. But this, I, I, the, the conversation for title challenges under Derek McInnes, no. No, no I think it would have been a solid second and Celtic would have been way clear and going for probably 12. But the, the disasters are the disastrous pursuit of McInnes had obviously meant that Graham Murray was still there and he had steadied the shit, but he got the job till the end of the season just before Christmas. Now that was nothing more than to just buy the board some time to get a to get the appointment right and just get a safe pair of hands in. Now in hindsight, that was absolutely the wrong call because Graham Murray was not mentally capable of doing that. And that's a shame because I think Graham Murray's another really nice guy, but he was not capable of doing this. Now, was it the wrong call? And in that moment in time, I can maybe understand why. And the, the fullness of time and looking back, it was probably the right one because we got Stephen Gerrard in. And yeah. let's be honest, we don't want to hear it, but this season was gone at that point. And I would much rather they prefer, and even still to this day, I would probably say this, uh, I'd rather get the right guy in than the quick guy in. Now, Derek McInnes was the quick guy in. He was never at any point yeah. the right guy, even though we felt it at the time. So I can see the logic, and I understood it at the time, yeah. to try and buy themselves the opportunity to get the right guy in. And the season was dead anyway. And to be fair, like, like we've just spoken about as well, if you get a guy in mid-season, he's laboured with the same problem that Pedro was, which is as soon as something goes bad, and with this squad, it would have went bad quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You are still laboured with last season results on the kind of general psyche of the support. So if Gerard had came in, say, kind of January or something like that, and then we get beaten by Celtic again, and uh, the final haverings would they have happened? I don't know. But if you kind of attributed those results to Stephen Gerrard, then you are maybe talking about a different picture when things start to go wrong, whereas you do at least have an element of a clean slate there. I'm, I know I'm saying that they don't exist in football and they don't, but you can at least buy into it as a, as a concept in the way that you wouldn't have had he stepped into the ring sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think you're, I think you're right. I, I think I mean from the perspective, I think in, in hindsight, it was the right call to give Marty the job and just buy time, but you could see later on just Marty just he struggled with the pressure. Oh, yeah. But yeah. 
to be fair to him, he got a January window. He brought some decent players in, like uh, Jamie Murphy came in. I was going to say Russell Martin and a decent player, but it felt a decent signing at the time. It just felt a, a stable centre-back. Jason Cummins came in, but Russell Martin quickly proved that that was anything but. But that period, going into the going into the, the Celtic game at Ibrox, I really fancied Rangers that day because Rangers' form going into that from New Year onwards was pretty good. And as you remember, Josh Windass, who is still living off this, scored mm-hmm. a lot of goals. And Rangers seemed to have a good formula going and it seemed to just be clicking at the right time. It, it felt as though we were at least pushing for something. Now, I, I, again, with the film at the time, we're looking back, it was really built on sand and it was a bit of a house of cards rather yes, form. Yes, it, it was. Absolutely was. And coming from the position that we were in where we had nothing to believe in or nothing to cling on to, my God, were we desperate to, to cling on to this? Yeah. What, what Was it ever real? No, probably not. But it at least put us in the position where had had we beat Celtic at Ibrox that day, we would have put pressure on them. And see, at that point, that's really all I wanted to see because they'd had a complete free run at it. If, if we beat Celtic that day, they would have been on, was 64 points. We would have moved up to 61 I believe. So, you know, that that's pressure. There's a small, small gap into it. And you really kind of want to test them as the defending champions at that mm-hmm. point and who had ran away with the league to see what they do under pressure because their fans would have felt it as well. And they would have been on their back to try and deliver. And at that point, you never know what happens. Now, don't get me wrong, in the fullness of time and in the fullness of that league season, I don't think we would have went on to one had we beat no. Celtic at Ibrox that day. But it would have threw that spanner in the works. It was a different dynamic, but as the flip side of it is what's happened is Celtic go and win this game, and even in the manner that they win at that, that psychological hold that they had over Rangers just strengthens with us, leading twice, and then, you know, they have a man sent off, and you're thinking at that point, we need to do this now. And there's something in that psychology of it as well, where we, we go ahead and we, obviously, they bring it back twice the half time, we're going at two each. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, you know, this is really frustrating that we should be miles ahead here, but we, we can still go and beat this. We, we still can do this. Whereas the minute you get sent off and you still have half an hour to go with their 10 men at Ibrox and the place is bouncing at this mm-hmm. point because everyone feels it. On the park, the psychology changes from we can do this to no, no we need to do this. And I, and I think it completely puts all the pressure on our players and removes a lot of the pressure off the Celtic players at that point who I don't think are expected to hold out now, given everyone just thought it would be a relentless wave after wave of Rangers yeah. pressure, and the psychology on the pitch, that, that, that change is so, so crucial to the way this game went, because we were not mentally ready to cope with that, that that pressure of needing to beat Celtic. Now, don't get me wrong, in every form you need to beat Celtic, but this is different to try and stay in a title race and to really try and put a bit of pressure on them. You need to beat them in this scenario. To then have that pressure put upon you and to not do it, the psychological damage that that caused is uh, irreparable, and we've seen that in the following games as well. And you see that that's a that's an absolute perfect summary because I remember that at the end of that game, just thinking that like when it went to two all, the pressure went up tenfold on Rangers, and they just couldn't handle it. And Celtic could Celtic were more capable of doing that. Celtic had more than ten, Celtic had ten men in the park, but those guys had so much more in the tank than Rangers did mentally. And that's the big difference in those games. And that was what I remember sticking out that day because as soon as that red card, I think when that red card came up for Simonovic, I think Rogers, and particularly we haven't really mentioned them in this episode, but 
he did have that he did have that mental edge that I think goes quite underrated with him actually that he he could get those players up for that and once that red card was in he was like right this is this is where you step up because the pressure's on Rangers and quietly yeah. got about their business and that's a brilliant goal from Edward to be fair but once that goal went in from Edward that was Rangers season done. And even even towards the end there with the chance and, and Scott being made the save and I actually remember having a conversation with Celtic fan not long after this game and he said like oh you, you would have loved to draw out of that and I was like well obviously in the context of not getting beat but it still would have felt like a major major yeah. disappointment no I mean it, it was the chance the chance to put pressure on Celtic and just see what happens at the end of that like I say the, the realist in me I don't think we were ever going to win the league but it gives that dynamic of pressure you know what I mean to be competitive and stay in the game whereas as I say not just losing to Celtic on this day if they came to Ibrox and beat us 2-0 in a fairly run-of-the-mill game almost then it doesn't probably do that much psychological damage the manner of this done a lot of psychological damage is the reason why a lot of these players who were involved that day could just never make it as Rangers players and the reason why James Tavenier deserves so much credit in making it yeah. as a Rangers player to come through not just this but the games we're going to talk about in a minute and we'll, so we'll touch on them quickly because I, I just can't bring myself to go back to this but the cup semi-final was just um, I, I didn't watch this I was working thankfully but I remember going out my way to try and watch a bit of the first half and turn it off after 20 minutes because I was just like, yeah, this is an absolute doing because Celtic were just... Celtic could have played with the slippers on that day and won. And obviously, famously, you know, the incident with Andy Halliday, and Lee, Wall- uh, Andy Halliday Lee Wallace, Kenny Miller, was a lot going on that day. And it just turned into just an absolute shambles and obviously resulted in Marty's time being up as manager. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, again, I, I kind of struggled to find where to start with this game as well because it's so different to the game at Ibrox where we go into it in a good run of form. You're thinking, okay, I think we can get a Celtic today. I think we were being the tunnel before we came out of hand on this day. Yeah. I'd listen to the fans, we'll never be beating the stands, but I think there was that thing in our head of going, I, I didn't have the same level of confidence mm-hmm. or, or buzz about us as we did going into Ibrox where we genuinely had, I think, belief. Mm-hmm. We could beat Celtic, and even though you know no one in the stands against Celtic at Hamden's ever going to surrender a game like that, I do think it was in our heads that we were aware that this could go really, really badly, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And as soon as um, that Rogic that Rogic goal goes in, a, a man who I'm utterly sick of seeing in a Celtic shirt, I'm so glad he left because he always seemed to score <laughs> against Rangers. As soon as that goal goes in, and you could feel the air go out the stands. Yeah, and I've been uh, sucked out. Yeah. Yeah, and the direction of travel became pretty clear. And like, as you say, the whole farce happens where we Andy Halliday on the park and they're singing his name. And mm-hmm. you come back to this theme of the show, mate, where I've talked about embarrassment after embarrassment, and mm-hmm. it just seemed never ending. And you do start to kind of ask yourself in the middle of these games, when when does it end or how can it end or where where could it end? Because it, it just seemed relentless at this point where it was wearing you down and just finding new ways to to, you know, reach the depths all the time. And it was about to get worse because a few, I think it was two weeks later, Celtic had the chance to win the title at Parkhead against Rangers. And you look back to, and this is why I think Gerard ha- does deserve a lot of credit because we'll touch on, obviously, the pursuit in just a minute, but you look at the team from that day and then the team against Hibs and the Rangers lose 10 goals in two games to Celtic and Hibs. That 5-0 Celtic game is as toothless a Rangers display as you'll ever see because Celtic just toyed with Rangers and there's nothing worse than 
I mean, there's nothing worse than seeing Celtic. I can accept losing to Celtic. I can if Celtic, if Rangers put up a, and I think that's why the one so recently bugs me because Rangers put up nothing. But this day, Rangers, the Rangers players just weren't at that level. They couldn't be at that level because the the team that day, you look at it in paper, and it is just not a Rangers team. And Celtic just toyed with Rangers. I, I remember again speaking to a couple of Celtic fans after this this game, and they, they were almost annoyed in a sense because they were five 0 up after fifteen minutes or something like that. And you, me, the Celtic fans, the Rangers fans, everyone thought this could be a record. This could, this could genuinely be double. It could have been. It yeah. could have. It yeah. genuinely could have. And that, that's not hyperbolic to say it genuinely could have been double figures that they had they wanted it to be. And they took the foot right off the gas. They were playing about with Rangers and uh, took pity in a way. And that, that hurts. And that actually yeah. bugs me more uh, because Rangers yeah. let them. Yeah, and at that point, you kind of do want to see just, just fucking kick someone. Do, do, <laughs> do. So show me anything. And again, I'm not really one to buy into the whole passion thing that, is, that some people really love to see from the players. But genuinely <coughs> just hit someone or do do something, show me that you care, at least. And we've got absolutely none of that. And when they're strutting about in the titles and the bag and their fans are having a, a party and, listen, we, we've been there at Parkhead in 99 where we could have a party at their place beating them to win the league. And I think a lot for a lot of their older fans, this was their chance to try and get some some of their own back on that. As you, it, was, it, was, it was painful and it was really, really horrible to watch. And I keep saying, we used to find new depths of, of embarrassment. Now, the, the most recent defeat to Celtic was embarrassing, but nothing doesn't even scratch the surface no, it doesn't. compared to this. Um, because we were not at the races, we were nowhere near them. And it could have been anything that they wanted to be. And the only thing that stopped it being an absolute record score was Celtic just taking the foot off the gas. And Jack Panic. And and Jack Anik, yeah, you're right actually to, to give him the credit because he pulled off a number of good saves that day. But even at that, if Celtic really wanted to put the foot down and really, really wanted to rub our noses in it, they, they could have quite quite easily that day. And that's the other thing kind of going into that game. It wasn't even the case for a Hamden where we thought it could go badly, given what we've seen before. Every, everyone knew what was happening today. Celtic fans knew what was going to happen that day. The Rangers fans knew what was going to happen that day. And the players in the park knew what was going to happen that day. And that becomes unforgivable because you know you're not going to see anything. And it's not even the case that you're, you're going hoping. There, there was no hope. I, I've not spoken to a single Rangers fan who was in the stadium that day that went with any kind of hope whatsoever. It was, it was out of loyalty, which is bloody commendable because you know what you're walking into mm-hmm. uh, and, and to, to have the kind of mental fortitude to still do that then I think from the fans perspective deserves an awful lot of credit yeah absolutely and we'll, we'll say we'll, we'll talk about something quite cheery that was that was getting us quite excited oh, about this time we've got there <laughs> and we've, we've got there eventually there was beginning to be whispers about who the new manager would be there wasn't really much in terms of kind of anyone serious up until we whispers get out that there was potentially talk of a, a legendary Liverpool player by the name of Steven Gerrard being linked with the job. I remember, I think it was follow follow from right someday putting yes. follow follow that Steven Gerrard was was being linked with the job, and I think some I think a lot of people are saying no way. And I remember looking in Skybet, and I'll never forget this. I'm pretty sure Alex McQueen was favourite. And Gerard was sitting about twenty five to one or something. By God, I wish I could go back five years because <laughs> there was there was this thing of there was because he turned down jobs before, 
They turned down jobs. I think it was MK Dons. It was, I, I it was MK say, Dons. I want to say he turned down another one as well, but there was this thing of, oh, that sounds, that sounds exciting, but there's no way Steven Gerrard's coming to Rangers. No, um, you're right, actually. It, it was MK Dons that he, he turned yeah. down. I remember reading that for, before myself. I, I, again, much like Pedro, actually, I remember exactly where I was when I got first told <laughs> about Steven Gerrard. I was working in the bar at the time. I was still a student. And it was the bar manager's husband was in um, having a drink. Massive, massive uh, nose. And he kind of pulled me aside and he went, have you seen Follow Follow? In the last like half an hour, I was like, no, how are we going to say now? And I was still so scared with Rangers. I was like, I, I, unless it's... Uh, hey, you know, unless it's uh, half this team being shot for their performance, I'm, I'm really not that interested, mate. And he's like, no, it's, it's Stephen Gerrard, the, the favourite to, to be the manager. Apparently, it's going to happen. And I was like, oh, just fuck off. Honestly, mm-hmm. don't, don't do this to me. And then, I, unlike Pedro, where I was trying to convince myself that, you know, this completely off the wall new start appointment could be a great thing. I was so damaged by that. that I was like, oh, what are we doing, man? I mean, could, is, is this really the time to be trying to gamble on a young and experienced manager? Like, of course, Stephen Gerrard's an absolute legend. And, you know, I, I adored him as a kid growing up, watched him who didn't, you know what I mean? But Jesus Christ, it's just no chance, absolutely no chance. Now, I was incredibly dismissive. Actually, I had to, to buy my pipe when Gerrard was actually appointed to him just to kind of apologize because I just didn't believe it was going to happen and then the, the story gains more traction and more traction yeah. until and then the BT interview happens where he's on with Gary Lineker and right. Ferdinand yeah. and uh, he, he says that he's you know had, had talked about Rangers and you're like oh, oh shit right okay this, this yeah. could actually happen but I still had those doubts in my head and I remember him specifically saying that I think Gary Lineker asked him at the advanced talks or something and he said are you interested and he says we'll see and I remember that specifically because I had completely ruled I said, there's no chance he's taking that job. There's no chance he's going to risk that because going to Rangers at that time... Yeah, exactly. Going to Rangers at that time was a, a descent. It felt like it to us. Like, there was this Rangers team were miles away from where they needed to be. Why is he going to risk a cushy job at Liverpool, potentially going to a, an average team in England where there's not as much pressure? Why would they risk him up here? But, by God, he certainly was... He certainly was willing to take the risk, and I I, I remember it. I, I remember it so well the day that he got announced because it became quite apparent on on Twitter before it happened um, that you know it was it was uh, the fourth of May two thousand eighteen. Yeah, so well, today uh, today, yeah. today was going to be the day. And I remember I was, I was like I said I was still shouldn't at that point. So I was in the the Mitchell Library in Glasgow. I had a, a report that was due. Right. I got sacked off because I'm like I'm I'm getting somewhere over my eyebrows just on the <laughs> off chance. And then they open the gates on the in, in the main stand, and everyone kind of goes flooding in, and everyone's trying to like get a signal on their phone and watch his press conference <laughs> as he's um, as he's being unveiled. And at that point as well, we had the, the amazing, amazing tweet to Hamza Yusuf, who'd obviously tweeted that Stephen Gerrard right, was yeah, never going to be yeah. there, anyway, the, the you know delayed, delayed, delayed uh, arrived, and I was like, that's just excellent, absolutely <laughs> excellent. And we not had that. For a while at Ibrox, even though I'm saying at Ibrox as if it was a full stadium on a match day, but uh, the buzz around the place uh, at that point was just something I hadn't experienced in a long, long time. And remember, it's 2018. Um, I, I'm what 19 years old. All I've really known throughout my my adolescence and my teenage years was Rangers being battered from pillar to post and being a bit mm-hmm. of a joke and kind of growing up on these stories of my dad and others talking to me about. The, the 90s and that fable time of being all conquering and wondering what the hell I've done in the past life to deserve this version of Rangers instead. And you, you finally had something, someone you could just latch on to and believe to. And even though 
initially when I'd heard Stephen Gerrard we had, you know, talked about I was so burned and disappointed by Pedro that I was so dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. Just being in the, in the stadium that day and seeing him walk out the tunnel and the roar that went up just from the, the people who were in the and the enclosure and all that that day, it, it just it, it felt something. It, it felt different, and I think that's the words that everyone has used since then. It just it felt so so different, and that you know it doesn't mean anything. As I say, that's ethereal as well. You can't touch that difference in feeling. There's just you got the impression like uh, no matter what happens here, something special is going to come out the back end of it because you can believe in Steven Gerrard. You know who he is. He's not some random or from Qatar that's came over out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he, he, it's not as many mental gymnastics you need to do to try and believe in this uh, as a figurehead of the club. And we even Ibrox that day, like everyone, got a massive uh, spring my step. Actually, I went to the Loudon as well for a drink, and mm-hmm. the place was absolutely bouncing. And it's one of it's one of those kind of Rangers memories, despite a ball not being kicked that day at all. It's one of those ones that will just live with me for forever, just because it, it really did feel like you are you were part of something special and something was building. And uh, getting that kind of first glimpse of him was was incredible. We started this journey by looking at the the first two episodes we did were talking about how much a hero was needed in the the eighties and how bad Rangers were, but the parallels of this are so similar because you've got this inexperienced manager with a massive name, massive reputation, taking a risk, a massive job, and the fans just desperate for something to get a, just desperate for a buzz back. And that's what this is. And that's why I remember feeling when Gerard was, you had that wee thing in the back of your head, right? He's untested. But you also would disperse that this is Stephen Gerrard. He's coming to take this job. He's saying all the right things. His, his press conference was brilliant. He was there was just this good feeling back, and by God, Rangers fans need to type. Yeah, and like I say, we were desperate to cling on to absolutely yeah. anything that we could. But again, it just it felt different to that. I didn't feel as over need to talk ourselves into believing into anything or yeah, having those discussions with yourself and your pals where you had to almost be forced into some kind of um, belief. It was there and it was natural. As I say, in the stands that day and anyone else who was there listening will know this themselves. You could just feel it. It was just absolutely electric. For, for As I say, a day where a ball wasn't kicked just to see a manager unveiled. I've never really experienced something like that before. I might never experience something like that again. No. And you're right to mention the 80s because Sunnis is the, the very, very easy comparison to make. But anyone who I'd spoke to of an older age um, around that time, they, they compared it to the same way that they felt when Sunnis walked through the door mm-hmm. as well. That, that, that really, really famous game-changing moment in, in Rangers history. And uh, it's not unfair to say it. it's not too close to the event to say that Stephen Gerrard walking out of that tunnel with Ranger Scarf was a game-changing moment again. Yeah, absolutely, but we will obviously get into Gerrard next week. We'll look at it in detail the three seasons, but ultimately resulted in, in my opinion, the biggest title win in Rangers history, but the overall summary of this period, the, the Pedro disaster, the disastrous appointment of McInnes, just so much negativity to go through what's what's the overall memory of this if I could ask you just for a a quick summary of this whole period what would it be pain and and (laughs) lots of it um it was was embarrassing at many points and there was so many aspects and and time zones when this period of time you and I have just covered where I think I certainly sat and thought about it and I know other Rangers fans sat and thought about it and they wondered where we were 
ever get back to the way that we used to be because it felt so far away despite the, the journey in inverted commas a phrase that I don't usually like using but the journey from uh, the, the bottom tier of Scottish football back to the Premiership that was done mm-hmm. this, this was this was new depth in terms of things where we felt as though we could get back and we could push it and it just never happened and we fell on our face we were embarrassed by our rivals we were embarrassed by Hamilton Ackies at home and it just felt as though it was one never ending pillar to post and you have this shining light at the end of them. Stephen Gerrard walks out that tunnel and you had hope. And that's something that I don't think we spoke about an awful lot tonight. Just use that word hope because of none of it. There's no hope involved in any of this. Yeah. And as football fans, if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. Every single football fan, except Celtic fans, it should be afforded hope within their lives and following their football team. And we were robbed of that as Rangers fans for so, so long. And the bookend to this chapter is Stephen Gerrard walking out that tunnel to, to the, the faithful at Ibrox that day. And hope was restored. That that's something that will live in me forever. As I said, the, the emotion of that day was incredible. But just having hope back is just uh, such a such a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Ross, it's been eventful. It's been a strange look back, but I've thoroughly enjoyed your company. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it's it's it's, it's been a, a pleasure, mate. As much as it can be, talking the Pedro Cushing's Rangers tenure. But I really, really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Thank it's you. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in, and please follow us next week as we will talk about the three years of Stephen Gerrard that results in fifty-five on the next chapter of the Rangers journey. <laughs> <laughs>